0: That is my favorite definition of spiritual discernment, is learning how to practice a preference for God. When we prefer God, we're going to look to God first, rather than look to God last. We'll go about our day, or go about a meeting, or go about a conversation, and then we'll say, God, would you bless what we just did, as opposed to, God, help us pay attention to you as we engage
1: in this conversation or this meeting. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is Steve Macchia. Steve's a founder and president of Leadership Transformations and author of a new book titled The Discerning Life, an Invitation to Notice God in Everything. You may have heard me say it before. I'm always looking for books that take a lifetime to write. Those books were deep, thoughtful people, right on a subject they've been exploring their entire life. And they offer us the opportunity to glean from the insights they've gathered through the years. Steve's experience and unique take on the topic of Christian discernment Brings us one of those books, a lifetime book. I spoke with Steve from his home in Boston. Steve, I love the subtitle to your book, An Invitation to Noticing God in Everything. Now, you take a, a different spin of sorts on topic of discernment. Could you share with us a little about some of your thinking on that? Oh, thank you, Nate. Thanks
0: for noticing. Uh, good noticing. <laughs> <laughs> for many, many years, I've seen discernment as a topic that's much wider than decision-making. And what I've seen in the literature is so much about how to be present to God and to each other, which is good and important and making wise choices. But I think it begins with a discerning life. And unless we are living that discerning life, seeing spiritual discernment as a lifestyle that we in community share, then we're just using spiritual discernment as kind of a how-to guide to be as close to the center of God's will as we can make it. And I really believe that discernment is an invitation from God to notice Him over and over and over again. And the obvious places that He shows up, and the beauty of His creation, and a delightful worship experience, um, you know, an important relationship, and the intimacy thereof. And we, so we see him. Oh, yes, that's a, a blessing, a gift, a, a God moment. But then he shows up in the mysterious. He shows up when we don't see him necessarily. He's still there. And then there are choices. There are times when we have to make some choices and choose between options. It's more than just the way we make decisions or how we make them, it's really how we live our lives. And what I'm desirous of is knowing people like you who are seeking to live a discerning life um, so we can pay attention together to the fresh move of God.
1: Mm-hmm. Paint me a picture of what does a discerning life look like going beyond kind of big decision-making but daily? what What's that look like?
0: I think it begins with an intimate relationship with God, so— one of the things i provide in this book is a, a listing of 50 biblical texts where i've seen god initiating toward his people because he wants to be known he wants to be seen he wants to be listened to <laughs> he's he's got some really good things to say so he initiates continuously but i need to i need to learn how to pay attention to those initiatives i need to say oh yeah that was Maybe that was the tap of God on the shoulder of my heart. And perhaps I need to pause or notice or reflect or pray or invite someone important in my life into the noticing. So I think it is a day to day discipline, if you will, that allows us the privilege of just saying, Yeah, God, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being there. Thank you for making yourself known. So it begins in my prayer closet, obviously, you know, I need to have some time alone with God and what I describe as silence and solitude and stillness and, you know, that place of serenity. And that is so absent, Nate, today. It just, you know, we just don't live a serene life. We live a very busy, noisy, active, distracted, self-centered kind of existence. So, I need to hear him notice him, see him in the intimate encounter that I am invited into on a daily basis, an ongoing basis, and if I don't have that i I need a community that's going to point me back to that 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 interior space where I'm sensing his empowering presence and and yeah, feeling noticing. With my emotions, not just my head, but my emotions as well. Yeah, he's here. And Ignatius talked about that as, you know, consolation or desolation, you know. So do you notice him? Do you see him? Do you feel him present with you as you read the word, as you pray, as you interact with others? So I'm really trying to expand my own ability to see and hear and feel. And I want to help others do likewise. Because I think it's that kind of life that once we start living that together, everything else changes.
1: Everything else changes. Living from that divine center. That Yeah. For example, what did that look like for you today to lean into uh, discerning life?
0: Today? Um, I've had yeah. two things today, actually. One, really positive and very life-giving in terms of uh, seeing my grandchildren on FaceTime as Ruth was getting ready to go over there, uh, they called and just wanted to see Nona. And I guess they wanted to see Papa too. So I was able to just see them and just thank God for these two little twin boys and their three year old sister and just grateful for the kindness of God.
1: Like an intentional pause in that of gratitude, yeah. of noticing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, thanking them and thanking God. Um, for their presence in my life, that's kind of um, altered and reshaped just about everything now that they're here. But I uh, then I had an interaction. Um, it was by email, unfortunately, but um, with uh, a person that is in my life, and there's obviously some discord, and I don't know why, and I don't know why I'm provoked the way I'm provoked. So I'm trying to notice God in the midst of that. God, why, why does that anger me or frustrate me or tick me off um so so deeply? So I, I wanna I wanna pay attention to why that breathes, you know, a sense of desolation into my soul, then say, before I respond to this, Lord, is there some invitation here for me as to why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling? So it's not always positive, Nate. It's not always like, ooh, you know, I'm noticing God. Isn't it delightful and joyful? Yes, of course, there's a lot of that. But I think if I'm honest, you know, it's because I I know this person by the name of melancholy very well, that when melancholy sets in and, you know, I'm, I'm having a reaction of some sort to some issue or some person, I need to pay attention to that. I need to notice that and then to find God in the midst of that, to comfort me, to teach me, to maybe give me a prick of conscience, uh, to change my heart or change my way or change my response. Um, And that's good. That's good for my soul. It may be hard and humbling, but good for my soul. Like an intentional
1: pause throughout the day. Yeah, like a little Sabbath moment or a sila moment, a, a pause. Which requires time, intentionality, habit. Habit, definitely, becomes automatic. You know, right? There becomes a knee jerk at times. I would hope.
0: I would hope as good as good spiritual practices should create some of that. Uh, My spiritual director years ago uh, implanted within my head the three words: "Isn't that interesting." I'm trying to do that as often as possible. Just say, isn't that interesting, Steve, that you're like frustrated <laughs> right the second, or you're uh-huh. whatever the emotion may be. So the pause of, isn't it interesting, has actually been a real life changer for me. Those three words have been huge in my spiritual journey.
1: You have a phrase in the book that I just love and it's practicing a preference for God. Do you talk a little about that?
0: Yeah, that that is the one phrase definition of spiritual discernment that I most prefer. And it comes from one of my spiritual heroes, Reuben Job, who was a methodist bishop at the end of his life and compiled all these great guides to prayer that upper room books uh, produces they're fabulous they're year long they're they're just amazing collection of great quotes and great resource for the care and nurture of the soul and so i've been tracking his work for like 4 decades ever since i was in seminary a long long time ago and then i got to know him at the end of his life and what a privilege and a joy and in his work on spiritual discernment, he summarizes the the definition of the term in that way, practicing a preference for God. So at the end of every chapter of my, my book, The Discerning Life, I have a section called Practicing a Preference for God. I actually wanted it to be the Either the title or the subtitle of the book, I lost that debate with my <laughs> publisher, but um, I As kept one the phrase <laughs> I, know, I, I kept the phrase in the book because it's so significant. Um, and it plays off of the practicing the presence of God, which we all know and love and is very endearing to us. But I love this nuance of practicing a preference for God in all aspects of our journey. When he shared that and wrote about that, that captured my heart and has been with me for years. So that that is my favorite definition of spiritual discernment, is learning how to practice a preference for God. When we prefer God, we're going to look to God first rather than look to God last. And one of the ways in which we do that the most is we'll go about our day or go about a meeting or go about a conversation, and then we'll say, God, would you bless what we just did? <laughs> As opposed to, God, help us pay attention to you as we engage in this conversation or this meeting. And you're really good at this, you know, just that taking a pause or taking a moment of silence or reflection, it it recenters you, it postures you more appropriately toward God and toward the people that you're with, as opposed to coming in with an agenda or a frustrating day or a bad relational interconnect. and. You know, we bring a lot of our stuff with us into our relationships, into our work, into our meetings. And so I think by practicing a preference for God, even at the outset of a conversation or a meeting or any kind of service opportunity, if we're just pausing to say, God, we want to notice you, we want to see you, we want to be empowered by you, would you lead us by the hand, uh, we, we look to you, we trust you, You know, all those words, phrases— that postures you proactively, intentionally toward God. And then, throughout that time, or at the end of that time, to be able to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for how you sustained us, how you protected us, how you guided us. And I think that's good discernment, lifestyle, ebb and flow of conversation, relationship, decision-making, lifestyle. Yeah, I think it's a way of being, Nate that I'm really calling for.
1: There's a certain humility that is required to to even look for or ask, right? If I I got it all figured out, I'm not necessarily going to look for God's opinion on something, right? Right. It's
0: grounded in humility. It definitely is. And that's so hard for us, especially we male types that really like to be in charge and like to be quick minded and and quick and decisive and in the workaday world the competitive workaday world of those in the marketplace and even those in ministry uh, we have to be very careful of this because that can really eke you know um, competitive spirit in our hearts and and not be good for us at all so can we be more humble? Yes, there's room in all of our hearts to add a little more humility. Uh, we all need it because none of us are, are at that place of humility where God really wants to do the deepest work in us. So how do we open-handedly kind of release our even our own best ideas and let them go? That's I think that's one of the hardest things. I was just a couple of weeks ago with a group. I'll leave them unnamed, but uh, when I got to this very point of letting go or dying to your best idea, sometimes I'll say, "Let's have a funeral for our best ideas." <laughs> or you write you write down what you think is the best decision we could make or the best conclusion we could come to. Let's put it on three by five cards and then let's rip them up and place them <laughs> in a in a, as a centerpiece. I've done this with groups. You know, just take the your, idol. your yeah exactly. But I, I I, had significant pushback from a group recently that was just like, whoa, you like really don't want to do this.
1: Because um, <laughs> you no trust
0: ma- your ideas, right? You, you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you think you – maybe, maybe you're the know-it-all. I don't know. But we have a lot of know-it-alls in the church today. We've got a lot of people with strong opinions. And we have strong <laughs> opinions about what we think should be – a conclusion without ever letting the process go through. So, I do think we need to continually die to our best ideas, our preconceived notions. But, Nate, that means we got to take a pill called humble. You know, and <laughs>
1: when, when most of us don't want to take that pill. Yeah. I mean, it's easy in moments of desperation where you really don't know and, and there's yeah. a, a puzzling, but yeah. that that next step of, um, right, I got good ideas or I can kind of have been down this road before kind of know, but to pause and the prayer I'll often do is, um, hey, if, if you got an opinion here, if you got an opinion on this one, I'm I'm open, you know, uh, <laughs> this just feels good in a way to go, this uh-huh. isn't all about me, right?
0: Right. Yeah. And we're so distracted by ourselves these days. I mean, I think those those are the two words, narcissism and distraction and i combine them you know it's mostly us it's mostly our agenda our idea our need to be right our need mm-hmm. to be in control our need to yeah have have the decisive
1: moment culturally that's rewarded expected yeah not necessarily the jesus way but right maybe the capitalist way <laughs> Yeah,
0: and I guess in capitalism that's acceptable. Even in sport, I guess that's acceptable. You know, it's, you don't, you're not going to just be a, a pansy on the field it's to say, "Oh no, you kick the ball." You know, it's your it's your turn. No, it's no. In certain environments, it's appropriate. It's okay. But when we're in the body of Christ and we're side by side as brothers and sisters, and we're doing ministry that's like kingdom related, uh, I don't see any room for it and i see no biblical justification for competitive spirit in in the scriptures so that needs to be rooted out of us especially in the church right yeah there's a lot of it and i'm like okay let's settle down let's just calm down let's <laughs> let's let's not have to be the first to speak and the smartest the brightest the most articulate the most witty whatever just can we just let that go <laughs> Because be that's together. about me.
1: That's about impression management. That's about yeah. control or self-esteem. Yeah. Exactly. Do you find – I'm just thinking out loud here. For me, there are times where I do very intentionally pause. You got an opinion here. I'm, you know, that kind of um, – and and sometimes that that's a day's week. You know, it's just sitting with it, letting it – cook and seeing what bubbles up. There are other times where it'll be kind of a spontaneous, it's almost like a glance over. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, th- there doesn't even need to be a whole lot of bigness to it, but just a, should I go talk to that person? Yeah. Right. There we go. Just an ease to it. Does that, do you relate to that? Is it oh, on, yeah. On track, yeah. do you think?
0: Yeah. And I, I think St. Ignatius, you know, he talks about three, three moments of decision making. One moment is when it's obvious. Oh, yeah, let's do Yep, sure. That, that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. Let's just go do it. It's just the, the building is burning. Perhaps we should get out. You know, it's, there's, there's no, there's no <laughs> need to, like, wrestle with that one. Let's just, let's just make the right choice. And that's decisive. That's quick. It's obvious. So I like to describe that as the obvious. The, the second is when there's choices to be made between options. That's where discernment is necessary. And then he says the third is in the time of waiting when you just need to be the sailboat out on the water and there's no wind blowing. And you're actually choosing not to put the oars in the water and humanly move the ship or put the engine on, you know, the little putter engine in the back and get that thing to get us to to move. No, there may be times when we just need to wait. And Nate, I think that's the hardest of all, because in a society and a culture we live in, nobody likes to wait. So we like the decisive. That we can all resonate with the decisive. We kind of get the need to discern between options. And I do have a whole section in my book about decision making. I've got 10 big questions that every leadership team needs to talk through. So there are ways to discern between options for sure. But that third thing of waiting, ooh that can be the most productive for the soul and we want nothing to do with it. (laughs) You know, so I'll say to, I'll say to folks, okay, well take the next 30 days and choose the longest line in the grocery store and just pay attention to how that feels or choose not to be the first one out of the gate at a stop sign. You know, just choose to be waiting, slowing down. It is so good for the soul because we just don't do that. So I like thinking through, does this the time to wait? Is this the
1: time to discern? Or is it obvious? You know, let's just move forward. How do you know? I can hear folks listening going, right. So you've been around, Steve, like you kind of, you got a sense of what God's saying. How do people know they're on the right track? I
0: think we know we're on the right track in community of other like-hearted, like-minded Discernment, folks. There you go. Where I really get freaked out is when a person comes in and declares that they've heard from God and the rest of us are like wide eyed and wondering where in the world did this person just come from and how in the world did he hear that? Because that is just so not God or so not right for this moment. So I really believe in the importance of community and I think the best discernment happens among spiritual friends. So it's it's friendship in community, and it's trustworthy friendship because you can be in community and have people beside you. They're with you, but they're not necessarily for you. So it's the with and the for; those prepositions are very important, and the withness and the forness is what makes for the greatest community experience, where we then trust each other in times where we're just not sure. Did we really hear or not hear from God? Was that God or not God? So it may be in my prayer closet that I sense something really clearly God has shared with me. So I say to my friend, Nate Foster, Nate, does that sound like God? And my friend Nate says, Sounds a lot like Machia. I think you better go back. <laughs> or my friend Nate says, "Yeah, that sounds that sounds a lot like God." Yeah. And so that's affirmed in in community. If you raise a question and three other people raise a question, then I need to go back to my prayer closet and ask again, see if I can hear with greater clarity. So Nate, I do
1: think community matters a lot. When you mention that, when someone walks in the room with you know, God has said this, that. Uh, I mean, that's a conversation stopper of right. of sorts. Right? What do you, you know, how do I yeah, mess do you, with that? How do you, refute, how do you refute that? Maybe it's back to humility, right? Because what you're saying is coming, going. Here's what I'm sensing. Please speak into that. I I need your discernment, and your wisdom. Yeah, exactly, good. exactly. And so, that's bonding. That's connecting. That's yeah, community. yeah,
0: yeah. I talk in the book about healthy relationships, the importance of biblical hospitality what it means to be hospitable to another but also what it means to really listen and i use the phrase pure listening i mean there's no such thing as absolutely pure listening the point i'm trying to make is can you really press into closing your mouth and really really opening your ears so that you you could actually give a verbatim back to the person that's sharing, that doesn't have any interpretive or comparative nature to it. It's just simply saying, what I hear you say is, and if you can nod affirmatively, then you've been heard. But if I interject my ideas for you, that's not pure listening. So I'm really calling my reader to as pure of listening as possible so that people can say, Wow, I've never been listened to like that before. I think that is bonding, important, critical actually to the development of community.
1: What does this look like for a leader like with your team at LTI how does discernment work itself out in the day to day
0: in the day to day when we're together it always begins with some sort of question of how is it with your soul so that there's a there's an attentiveness to each other as persons not as machine you know in terms of having a function to fulfill so i would say there's always the first X number of minutes, you know, that we're listening to each other's story. The trust level has been deepened over time because we've listened to each other, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. So it starts there. It starts with a relational presence, a graced presence, I would say. That's really a high value of ours is to cut each other slack and pour grace over each other's hearts and it's mostly in the listening mostly in just the attentiveness not being in a rush but being totally available to each other and then as we get into life together to just say does this seem like what god's inviting us to or is or is or not i mean have we really inquired deep enough and have we stayed with the question long enough before we you know dive into something so what i've seen is we have much more of a healthy organic life together because of the choices that we've made to kind of live life together and not compete with each other, but instead to be present with and for each other. It's been huge. Now, it hasn't always been that way with every person. We've had our share of experiences that were not the sweetest, but we've held that priority high and made sure that as we work through this, we're going to be inviting others into this continuously. So, Some are for it and some are not really ready for it.
1: That's hard and sad, but that is the reality. What I like in in what you're saying is, I mean, there's this idea that leaders wanna wanna bring something, wanna help, feel internal or external responsibility to to do such, but for you to bring listening, discerning, what you're doing (laughs) is a ministry to your team, right? Because they're learning this themselves. Through the years and part of what I'm running with this is just knowing a few people on your team and how meaningful mm-hmm. the interactions are through the years for them.
0: Yeah, it's deeply I mean I, we've had people stay for a very long time.'s been I love the longevity of our team. We know each other, we love each other, we trust each other, we've been through the mill together, um, but we have seen amazing ways that God has blessed and multiplied the work of our hands far beyond what we could have ever dreamed up together. Then it really has come out of this discernment posture, and now we have a board that is fully engaged in this same priority, and that makes all the difference in the world as well. It's a slower way to go you have to you have to be comfortable with that so that you're not pushing and shoving your way toward these big goals and big, hairy, audacious goals. I had to let go of that. And a big part of this, Nate, is I'm a recovering workaholic. I, I, I know what it means to work really hard. I know what it means to go and set those big goals and accomplish great things. Uh, but I also know how it hurts and burns out and can frustrate people along the way. So, yeah, I've, I've had to make sure that the systemic way in which we live supersedes the systematic way that we're choosing
1: to live say that one more time?
0: The systems, the systemic way, the, the way in which things naturally occur in relationship and in ministry, it's more watching God at work and participating more fully in it than to strategize, we're going to go beat that number and go make that happen, and this is what we're going to do to get there. So there may be along the way some of that that occurs, the systematic but it has to be underneath the umbrella of the systemic, and so we teach that we live that we we try to embody that, and I think God has really chosen to bless us in ways that we were surprised I mean that's the nice part of it. You have to like say, "Wow, none of us came up with that as the initial idea, <laughs> but look what God did, and look what we're able to do together as a result
1: so yeah. and then that that builds an experience of- Yeah, yeah, that's good. Share with me a couple of things going on with LTI now that folks could be involved with.
0: Uh, Leadership Transformations has been around for 19 years. We started in 2003. And over the years, the big programs that have emerged are, first of all, SELA, which is our certificate program in spiritual direction. We now have SELA on the East Coast, SELA on the West Coast, SELA in Europe. And we now have a Sila Anglican track, so we have all these multiple tracks. the last two came systemically interestingly. You talk about how things emerged that came relationally systemically um It's been amazing to see how- Seela Europe and Seela Anglican have come into existence, and we're full to overflowing we have We have more uh people on the waiting list than we care to have on a waiting list. We'd love to be able to accommodate everybody. But we just we're trying to manage our growth as best as possible. The other big initiative is our Emmaus program, and that's helping people in the area of spiritual leadership. What does it mean to be uh, a formational leader, uh, l- leading the way in which we're describing today as a discerning leader? The third initiative is the Discerning Leader podcast, which is you know it's been fun to see how that has emerged. You've been my role model in that regard. I told you multiple times I love how you do. Uh, the Renovari podcast, so we're like one of your little kid brothers <laughs> over here. That's been fun to see. Uh, now we have listenership in all fifty states and about eighty different countries, and it's just been fun to watch that thing emerge. Uh, and then we do some work at Gordon Conwell. Uh, if you're a seminary student or if you're looking for a place to to go that has some formation experiences, you may want to take a look at us. So leadershiptransformations.org dot org is our website, and people can take a look at that and. Pick and choose if there are things that um, you know that would work for them. We'd love to welcome
1: them into our family. One last question, Steve. So when I think of one of your major contributions, is the rule of life. Like this is this has been your thing for for years and years, and and then knowing a little about this project, uh, the book, the discernment book, like this has been your life too. And do those intersect? Do you see those coming together? Oh, they absolutely
0: do. It's interesting that the final title is the discerning life when the other one is crafting a rule of life. Um, Had I redone my own personal history, this would have been the book I would would have written first, followed by crafting a rule of life because crafting a rule of life is much more particular to the individual this is more of a lifestyle for an individual and in a community, out of which we can then discern our personal rule of life. So yeah, rule of life, the Crafting Rule of Life book has done fabulously well. It's and it is one of my, you know, main, I guess, contributions, and I love that material. I love how God has blessed that. But this feels more like a a life message that has more of a holistic sense to it. I don't know, Nate. You know, time will tell, but in writing it, it felt like, yeah, this is the big idea that I will go to my grave talking about. And that just feels big to me. And it feels like God said, this is what I want you to do. And I was able to include some of Ruben's material. I wanted to honor my mentor in that way. So I feel good about that, that that Zonderman would let me put. I mean, there's, it's a 50-page appendix. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> you think you're finished with the book, and then it's, whoops, you get, you get another like 75 pages of appendices. But the bulk is this practicing a preference for God that comes from Reuben's Guide to Spiritual Discernment, which I've used over the years. It's no longer in print, so I, I, I gleaned some of the best of his material. and. Put it in here, and I'm I'm thrilled with that as well.
1: So that makes total sense. That when we go to craft a rule, um, <laughs> it being an outgrowth of discern. I mean, it's all discernment, right, right. there. So, it's yeah, all discern. Course. It's all listening.
0: You know, the big idea of crafting a rule of life is that Benedict was all about listening. So Benedict was my hero on the crafting, and Saint Ignatius is over here in the discernment books. So I'm I'm just trying to glean from the the finest, if you will, and try to bring it into a modern church life experience. So we'll see where this one goes. I I really hope it's an encouragement to folks to practice a preference for God, if nothing else.
1: Uh, You did a great job, and I'm very excited about how this will help folks. Thanks, Nate.
0: Great to talk with you again, Steve. You too, brother. I love you. I appreciate you. I thank God for you, for the Renovari family. The Renovari community has been, oh my gosh, you are our role models in so, so many ways, and have been for decades. So, thank you. God bless Renovari in this new season with new leadership, and yeah, look forward to all that is ahead for Renovari. Plus, I feel like I'm a part of that family too. So,
1: I'm, I'm a, I'm a member of the community. So, <laughs> yes, you are <laughs> important. And that was Steve Macchia talking about the discerning life, an invitation to notice God in everything. You can find out more about Steve's work and the wonderful organization he's connected with at leadershiptransformations.org. That's leadershiptransformations.org. Steve also has a really thoughtful podcast. It's called The Discerning Life. Definitely worth checking out. I believe next month he'll be airing an episode in which he interviewed me. I've done a number of past episodes with Steve that all were quite good. Episode 48, More Beautiful Having Been Broken. 56, An Invitation to a Well-Ordered Life. Episode 159, the Highs and Lows of the Evangelical Tradition. And episode 112, Our Leadership Roundtable. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovari Podcast work made possible by the generosity of folks like you. Thank you. You can support Renovare in this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org slash donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find a collection of thoughtfully curated articles, podcasts, webinars, online classes, as well as information on events and our institute on our website at renovare.org. This podcast is produced by Brian Morrican, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Thanks for joining me on this journey. And until next time, be well, friends, be well.